Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to this week's episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. I'm your host, Amanda Nally. This episode, we are joined by Dr. Etoy Garrison to discuss implicit bias in maternal health care and the training program that she helped develop to address this important topic. Dr. Rolanda Lister, the TIPQC Officer of Health Equity, leads this discussion. Let's listen in. Well, good afternoon, uh, Dr. Garrison. We're so happy to have you on TIPQC's Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby podcast. And we're just going to go ahead and get right into our conversation about um, implicit bias training. So first of all, Dr. Garrison, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got inspired to do this work? Sure. Thank you for having me. It's it's really a pleasure to speak with you about implicit bias and um, maternal health. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. So I am an obstetrician gynecologist from originally from Chicago, and I trained in um, at the University of Chicago for residency, and I trained at University of Illinois for my fellowship in maternal fetal medicine. Uh, And then I moved to Nashville in 2005 and joined faculty at Vanderbilt, and I've been here ever since. And I have a strong interest in um, medical complications of pregnancy, really treating high-risk moms. And my practice is focused on managing patients with various medical conditions, um, particularly interested in diabetes and pregnancy. But then I'm also interested in how the care that all moms receive, and um, I'm interested in the impact that race and ethnicity and language have on maternal health outcomes. Um, And so I was recently appointed to lead the diversity task force for the Department of OBGYN at Vanderbilt. And the task force actually reports to the diversity, one of the many diversity committees at the medical center. And we really have been charged with thinking about how we deliver care to our patients, making sure that healthcare is equitable and just and fair, um, and making sure that we uh, not only are deliver good health care to our patients, but that we educate um, ourselves and the medical community so that we can do the best that we can for, for our patients and for everyone. Thank you so much for that, that introduction into your work. How would you say that implicit bias affects maternal health? Like, what are some of the the evidence behind that? How do we know that implicit bias is actually something that affects maternal health? Well, I think it's, there's been data really pointing back through, through the 1980s, 1970s, looking at health outcomes and identifying the fact that African-Americans, Hispanic uh, Americans, Latin Americans, Native Indians have worse outcomes compared to whites. 
So that data has been around for a long time. In the past, we would attribute it to some of the social factors that can affect your access to care or that can affect your quality of care in various hospitals. Um, but now, over the last few years, we, there really have been a lot of studies that have attempted to control for those social factors, the demographic factors that separate us from each other, like, you know, um, your level of insurance or your education or, the, or where you live, all those factors that can, can make you more likely to go to one doctor as opposed to another or one hospital as opposed to another. And they found that for African-American women, uh, and Latin women and Indian women, when, when you specifically look at health outcomes in obstetrics and gynecology, we still tend to have worse outcomes. So it's not just the factors that make you unique as a person, um, but it's really the concern is that maybe there's something inherent in that relationship that you have with your healthcare provider that can make it more likely that you won't receive the same care that someone else will. Well, that is definitely eye-opening to know that even after you correct for those social factors that we still see those differences in healthcare outcomes. That's a really sobering thought. So what, in your opinion, are some of the, among some of the solutions in order to uh, mitigate the bias? And, and really, how do you differentiate bias from racism in medicine? Okay, that's a good question. I'm probably good to tackle the, the second question first. How do you differentiate bias from racism? And that can be very challenging. So often with bias, you have conscious bias and unconscious bias. And with bias, it's a it's uh it's it's kind of we all have that like you as you grow and develop and mature and learn you you make split decisions that help you get through your day preferences that you develop over time um that help you become a functioning individual uh so bias is not something that you can avoid or eliminate or that you would want to eliminate because you've got to be able to think quickly in various situations. But the challenge with bias, especially unconscious bias, is that there's a tendency to not only make a choice, but to disadvantage people as a result of your choice. So it's not, I want the green salad compared to something else. Right. It's or not that I want to eat my dinner before the dessert, but it's that you're, you make a decision to give one person advantages that you don't give someone else um, because of these various factors that have very little to do with the situation at hand. Um, so you may make a decision to spend an extra 15 minutes with the patient that you wouldn't spend otherwise, or you may make a decision to give someone pain medication, uh, where you may decide that the other person can wait mm -hmm. kind of on a more practical level when you're thinking about what happens in a hospital with between a physician and a patient or between a nurse and a patient. And there actually have been studies that have looked at timely delivery of healthcare, um, and they found that African-American patients are more likely to not have that compared to their white counterparts. Even when you look at, I know we're focused on maternal care, but there's a classic study that looked at um, delivery of pain medication to children with appendicitis, and they found that um, black children were less likely to receive pain medication compared to white children. 
Um, and it's not that we have higher pain tolerance. It's not that we can't communicate our pain. The concern is that the providers taking care of the Black children weren't as attentive mm-hmm. and um, felt as if it, it was more important to prioritize other tasks. And that's what we want to avoid, um, knowing that there are systemic inequalities for people from communities of color. You really don't want that to cross over into the hospital environment. Every patient who comes to the hospital has a need that needs to be met, that should be met. And so the goal is to deliver quality, timely healthcare to everyone, um, regardless of their race, ethnicity, or language, or sexual preference. But when it comes to individualized care, or that, that individual level of care between one provider and the patient, you don't want those snap judgments or subconscious decisions to make a difference. I think when you're thinking about racism, uh, certainly you can have obvious examples of racist behavior. Um, I think that is probably less likely to occur um, in the healthcare setting. At least that's what we hope is that those examples are few and far in between. And what we're really targeting are the unconscious ways in which we make decisions that can have a downstream effect on a negative downstream effect on patient care. Fascinating. So it sounds like Even though some biases can be unconscious, meaning that the person does not, you know, understand that that different mindsets or prejudgments that come into their mind actually impact how they are treating a patient or managing a patient. So if it's unconscious, then how do you address it? You bring it to the forefront. You make it more of a conscious act. You you address it by talking about it, by giving examples and having people really think about it in a, in a practical way. You know, often we start with giving healthcare providers examples that are really applicable to what they see on a day-to-day basis. And we ask them to look at that situation through a different lens. Um, look at it from the perspective of the patient or look at it from the perspective of the family member? Or what if you were to change a little piece of information about this patient, would the patient have received care differently? Um, And when you start to layer on those differences, often it causes the, you know, the healthcare providers that we speak to, often it causes them to think about how the care was delivered um, and to really to realize that, yeah, maybe there were some some ways in which the care could have been delivered differently, um, and to think about maybe why why that why that could have been, and maybe it has something to do with race, maybe not, maybe it has something to do with something that was completely unrelated to the patient, but either way, the outcome for the patient is going to be the same. Um, so, the first step with unconscious bias is bringing it, making it more of a of a conscious. Act making that um, making uh, helping providers realize that that our actions have consequences. Number one, um, and then number two, helping providers realize that that there are some subtle ways in which we make decisions that can have a negative impact on our patients, and asking them to really think about that every time they interact with a patient. And hopefully you do that prospectively so that you don't unknowingly cause a delay in patient care. 
Um, but even if it's not a prospective act, it can still be retrospective where you really kind of reflect on what happened either with you or with a colleague, and that can help you the next time you see a patient. Do you find, and I know you do a lot of unconscious bias training for the department, can you tell us a little bit about the program uh, that you were wanting to implement in order to teach unconscious bias training to providers? Sure, sure, absolutely. So I, I think it's probably helpful to start with what Vanderbilt has been doing for the last few years. They have uh, several really robust departments that are focused on diversity, health equity. The Office of Inclusion and Health Equity has been tasked with providing unconscious bias training to um, faculty and staff at the medical center. And to date, they have trained over 10,000 faculty members, employees, um, residents, uh, medical students at the hospital. We partnered, the Department of OBGYN at Vanderbilt partnered with the Office of, of Inclusion and Health Equity in 2019. Um, all of our faculty members were trained, all of our residents have been trained. Um, and it's actually part of the uh, new onboarding, all of the new requirements for any new person who joins our faculty, any new resident who joins our team. So we partnered with them uh, and really thought about how we can um, offer unconscious bias training, specifically linking it to maternal mortality and adverse outcomes for moms in pregnancy and, and in the postpartum period. How do you link those two? How do you measure that? Well, we link the two by really talking about the, the, all of the studies that have looked at health outcomes for moms and that have found that African-American women um, and Latin women have worse outcomes compared to moms, even when you control for socioeconomic status, even when you control for insurance, even when you control for disease status, severity of disease, um, the outcomes are still worse, even when you control for hospital type the same hospital, same diagnosis, African-American women do worse. And so it really makes you think about that provider and patient-provider interaction um, and whether or not there are some subtle ways in which African-American women have received less care. And I think what's so important for people to realize is that at least if you look at all of the deaths and pregnancy-related deaths, so deaths to mom either during a delivery, before delivery, or within that year after delivery, deaths to mom in the U.S., 60% of those deaths were preventable. Mm -hmm. um, and in the state of Tennessee, all of the deaths, maternal deaths, were believed to be preventable on some level. Mm -hmm. Not that the hospital you know, provider can prevent everything from happening. Mm -hmm. But there are some delays and in, in, uh, you want to, what we want to focus on is delay in diagnosis, um, making sure that we deliver timely care, making sure that we minimize any um, lapses in communication that can affect how we assess our patients and how we manage them. So with the training that you do, how do you get buy-in? Because, uh, you know, a lot of times people's worst fear is to be accused of having racial biases. And a lot of times, if you talk to most, I mean, we work, work with a lot of doctors, nurses, medical assistants, and I would say for the most part, everybody 
has a kind heart, a heart to serve. They want the best for the patients. They're, you know, when we talk about biases, there's this defensiveness that can often go up when we kind of bring that to the forefront. So how do you get around that when you do your training? How do you get around the defensiveness and people not wanting to come to that realization or the hesitancy of people coming to that realization that, that, that they themselves have biases? Or do you encounter that at all? Oh, sure. There's always resistance. I think we all have a tendency to think, oh, no, not me. Mm-hmm. You could you could certainly see the challenges that someone else may have with that issue. But it's very difficult to look in the mirror and say, well, could this that I'm not that, that has nothing to do. It's easier to say that has nothing to do with me mm-hmm. than to think that it might have something to do with you. Mm-hmm. So we start with what's what we all have in common. Um, we all have bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you're if you're human, we like to say if, if you're human, you have biases. Mm-hmm. And so we all have them um, and we all want the best for our patients. Um, so you start with what we have in common. Mm-hmm. And then the, the next thing that we, we try to do is to really shine a spotlight on the problem. And we try to peel back the layers for to the problem. And then we think, okay, there's a, we can't fix everything, but there is something that we may be able to address to address if we think about what happens at the individual level between a patient and a nurse or between a patient and a doctor or between a patient and the person who checks them into the hospital Mm -hmm. and the person who puts that patient ahead of someone or behind someone based on how sick they are. Mm -hmm. So we really kind of want to use this short period of time that we have with with the people that we are um, tasked to educate. We really want to think about what is, what do we all have in common what is the problem? And then what are some ways to address it? And then we give them examples and ask everyone to think about that example at the provider, patient provider level. Is there anything in this example, not you, this example that I'm telling you about, is there anything in that example that could could have been done differently? Mm-hmm. And if so, why? And everyone has a, and you kind of have a spectrum of responses. Some people understand that implicit bias exists and understand that it can affect patient care. And some people are have already know that, and they really just kind of want to think about the problems and the solutions. And then other people are still on the fence about, about bias and think, well, maybe there's something else going on that caused this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case, you know, the time that we spend together is a time for me to introduce the the challenge, introduce the the the, the topic, and to get to hopefully um, the people who are dubious about this come have have a little bit more of an open mind about it when we're done. But the key with um, unconscious bias training is that it's it has to be reinforced and revisited. Um, and the more examples that you, you can bring up, the, the easier it is to kind of peel back the, the layers of resistance that some people may have to the topic. Also, we hope the easier it'll be to identify solutions to the problem. 
Absolutely. So you had mentioned um, it has to be revisited. So is this, I guess, the curriculum that you use, is this something that is implemented as a one-time thing or is it a recurring type of training um, modules that you use? Like kind of walk us through how you implement. Yes, absolutely. So the session that's offered through the medical center is actually it was a two-hour in-person course. And then every department was really charged with identifying ways to reinforce that. And so what we have done or what we will, we received a grant from the state of Tennessee to offer unconscious bias training to four hospitals in middle, middle Tennessee. So our plan is to to train facilitators at each hospital to offer a 90-minute virtual workshop where we present the problem, talk about bias, present cases, and ask people to really think about them and kind of dissect the case and to think about think about whether or not bias played a role, and then to think about ways to improve um, the nurse-patient interaction and the doctor-patient interaction. So we really end the session challenging everyone to think about the problem and to think about solutions. And then the next step would be to follow up either with another workshop or with an email or with a structure that will enable people to continue this conversation. Often there are changes that improvements that can be made at a unit level or at a hospital level that are really driven by the people that work there. The people who see that there's a challenge, there's a need, and they really kind of think about ways to address it. And so that's what we hope to spark with this is that you have a formal opportunity for education Mm -hmm. and then we offer a formal way to follow up with that. And then we give people, all of the participants and avenues so that they can reach out to their, the workshop leaders with ideas about ways to improve care. So that's the first step is to kind of have this grassroots effort where everyone is thinking about it and problem solving. Mm -hmm. The next step would be to look at it from a systemic level to identify a problem and then to see are there, is there a systemic response that we can offer that is going to improve care for every patient? Mm -hmm. So an example would be um, looking at the fact that you have a high percentage of women who are in the post-delivery period who present with complications, Mm -hmm. Um, either elevated blood pressure that isn't addressed or they have other complications postpartum and have a hard, difficult time at either accessing care or when they do access care, they don't receive the timely care that they should. Mm -hmm. And so the hospitals that we engage with may want to think about that on a systemic level. Is there something that we can do, a protocol that we can put in place so that if patients call with complaints after delivery, that they can be triaged by a nurse and then directed appropriately? Okay. Okay. So much of kind of what you're describing, that sacred relationship between a patient and her provider, a patient and her nurse involves like communication And a lot of times patients have a particular cultural context that they come, they kind of see the world through, like certain lenses that they see the world through. And the same with providers. Um, You kind of couched kind of the reason why we have biases are related to our experiences and our ability to kind of make snap decisions in a short amount of time. So how do you uh, teach 
like cultural awareness or cultural sensitivities for patients that might be of a different race, ethnicity, culture from the providers that care for them and vice versa. That uh, takes time. That's an important part of, you know, a important part of the of the problem is cultural sensitivity and awareness. I agree. I agree. And I think that that level of of respect for cultural differences takes time. Uh, The best way to address it is to really encourage each provider to have to develop a relationship with a patient over time, if if that's possible. You know, often the are we have systems of care in which the patient may see a different person every every time they go into the doctor's office, which makes it very challenging to really understand um, the patient's perspective about their health care. But if you can, especially for patients that that are higher risk for complications in general. If you can develop a system in which that patient sees the same one or two people over time, then that is the best way to enable the healthcare providers to better understand the patient, but it also enables the patient to develop trust in the healthcare system and trust and and to trust the recommendations that the providers are giving. Um, The other thing that you can do that's going to um, help bridge that cultural divide is to really focus on shared decision making so that providers often there's this many patients probably I don't know if many patients uh, see this but we really are trying to get away from this a paternal approach to healthcare delivery where you've got this I know what's best for you approach and I'm going to tell you what's best for you mm. and if you don't agree with me, then I need to know why. Um, But it's not, I'm asking you why, because I'm trying to get you to my side, not asking you why, because I want to understand. Right. So we really are, over the years, we really have been, there's been a great push in really thinking about that question of why and asking it from a point of curiosity so that you can understand the patient's perspective. Mm. And, um, kind of develop a mutual uh, field in which both you respect the patient's wishes, you respect their desire to do whatever it is that that they feel that is best for them. Um, And it doesn't mean that as a provider, you have to abandon your position. It just means that, you know, hopefully the patient will make a decision that's going to be helpful for them from a healthcare perspective. But even if they don't, you still want to have this mutual relationship built on respect so that if the patient changes her mind or if her his or her circumstances change, they know that they can come to you as a provider and you can still give them excellent advice yeah. um, that they can consider. So it really is rethinking that relationship so it's less of parent and child and more of, of, of um, a partnership partnership. Yeah, it's more of a partnership. And um, even knowing that it it may not, the end result may not be what the physician wants or what the nurse wants, but the end result hopefully will result in an outcome that is better for the patient, even if it's just a different level of understanding or having the patient receive information that they didn't have before. Mm -hmm. That may need to be the win that that the provider gets is that, yes, at least I've given you this information. I've given you something to think about. 
uh, and you let me know when you're ready um, to move forward in whatever way feels comfortable for you. Yeah, I think really empowering the patients is kind of what sounds like you're describing, you know, and empowering them with the information that they need in order to make the best decision for, for themselves and their family. So definitely. Yes. And also it, it, I think um, physicians and nurses need to uh, approach it with the understanding that all patients want that, want to be empowered. They want to receive that information, even if they may ask the questions differently. And there are some patients who are very vocal and are very clear about the question and clear about the information that they seek. And there are other patients who are not as as vocal, but they still expect the same level of information to be delivered. And so it's it's up to each physician, each nurse, each nurse midwife to really develop that relationship with a patient that's built on respect. Even if it's your first time meeting the patient, um, you want to really ask open-ended questions so that you can gain information that will enable you to meet the patient's needs. Um, knowing that they may not agree with everything that you're saying, and that would be okay, um, as long as they know that you can be a resource for them whenever they are ready to, re- to receive more information. What's been the response that you've gotten from people who have completed the uh, unconscious bias training? It's been very positive. Mm-hmm. All of the participants who've completed the training um, that have responded back to me, to us, have been have responded in a positive way. All of the hospitals that are engaged in this work are excited about it. Um, and every year we, we encounter more and more people who need to be trained, who want to be trained and are requesting it. Have you gotten any kind of response from the patients who are at the hospitals that have completed this training? Like, have the patients been able to, I guess, notice that there's a different environment, there's a different culture? I can tell that this hospital has more awareness of the biases. I feel more respected. Like... Is there any way to to assess that or have you gotten any feedback? You know, that's that's what we're working on now is really getting feedback from the patients themselves. I think that this work takes time. Yeah. You know, changing um, someone's uh, perception of how they deliver care and the type of care that they deliver takes time. Uh, Gathering patient feedback about the culture of the hospital and the the type of care that they receive is so important. Um, And we're gonna use that to propel our work um, and to to continue to offer this training. But the feedback is what we're looking for and what we'll continue to gather. Our hope is that, that patients notice a difference over time. And so we're really putting mechanisms in place now so that we can gather that data. Excellent. Uh, So we will definitely stay tuned because ultimately that's where we want to have the greatest impact is the experience of of the patients that we serve to know that that they have a a cadre of providers, nurses, doctors, uh, you know, ancillary workers that are in their corner and and respect them um, for all of our patients. So we'll stay tuned to kind of hear those results and how the culture changes as a result of the unconscious bias training. How can we contact you? How can the listeners who might be interested in unconscious bias training for their hospitals, 
how can they contact you for more information? I think the best way for um, interested hospitals or patients to get in touch with us to give uh, for more information about what we're doing would be to um, email me. I'll leave my email address and I'm happy if patients have questions or comments or want more information about the programs that we have in place. I'm happy to either answer those questions or forward those questions to the right people. Thank you so much, Dr. Garrison. We're going to go ahead and wrap up. You have heard another episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby at TIPQC. Thank you and good luck to all your work. Okay, thank you. It's, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TIPQC. TIPQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.